Welcome back from your break. If you're joining us on the stream, thank you for your patience. Please open in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, found in your Old Testament. It's one of the thicker books located uh, in the latter part of the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. And I'm going to be reading in a moment from chapter 35 of Isaiah. But for our projection team, uh, let me open with Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Uh, Familiar words before we read the scripture, which is going to be our primary uh, focus today, Isaiah 35. Then I'll pray for our, our time together in God's word. On this third Sunday in Advent, really Christians throughout the world are hearing these words read to them from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts We'll do this. Now to our passage today, Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weakened hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then, verse five, the eyes of the blind shall be opened the ear of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and 
come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee no more. This morning's message is entitled, Sigh No More. Let's pray. Lord, as we focus on your word, we pray you would give us both here in this place and via the stream, those watching live and those who will watch this later, an attentiveness. It is your word and your voice through your word that gives to the weary what we need. And so grant us, gracious Father, grant me attentiveness the skill of listening, not to ourselves, and not being drawn away by our distractions, but listening to you as you remind us of the glory that awaits us, and as our trust in God deepens as we wait on you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. friend of mine and his son uh, were taken fishing this summer uh, near the border of Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Uh, But this was not the fishing that I did in high school, and I'm not a fisherman. Uh, We would, on opening day, we would cheat. We'd get a license. We'd cheat. We would get a little box of Velveeta cheese and load our hooks with fish and drop them in a well-stocked pond and pull out trout to our legal limit in a matter of about 15 minutes. True fishermen despised our fishing strategies. My friend and his son were taken out on a pond that is not stocked, but apparently is full of fish and was taught how to fly fish. Do you know what fly fishing is? Some of you do where you create a fly using some type of thread and and other materials, uh, like the insect that would seasonally fit the fish's menu or appetite during that time of of year. And uh, apparently it was a successful fishing lesson. They took their kayaks out onto this pond. They had worked that morning to create their flies. They were taught how to cast the line, um, and, um, uh, and the, particularly the little boy with his dad with, with great joy caught their uh, legal limits of, of fish that day. But it begs the question, what happens when you've done all you know to do and the fish aren't biting? Do you cheat and get a box of Velveeta cheese and then just stick a wad of that on the fly and drop it in? And well, maybe. I mean, that's my school of fishing. Or, right, do you change your fly, your lure altogether and put a weight on that line and drop it down more deeply where the fish are in order to entice a bite? I think Christmas for Christians may, if you'll allow this, fit that analogy in this sense. We're aware and we're familiar and we rejoice in the rehearsal of 
birth of Christ and the promises that are fulfilled and the carols that herald the the tidings of this glorious season and all of the trappings of that. But when the winds blow in our lives of uncertainty and difficulties come, when the decorations which are beautiful are put away and the reality of my sin and your sin and the sinfulness of our world interrupts your celebrations. It reveals and stirs within many of us a longing for something deeper, something more stable, something that isn't necessarily unfamiliar, but maybe hasn't brought the depth and security and hope and confidence that God has. Chapter 35 is a chapter that isn't often associated with Christmas, but it offers to us, if you will, a depth of hope through the promises that are given that as we not only consider them and gaze at them and through the agency of the Holy Spirit, the assistance of the Spirit who inspired these words, have it shape our heart. We will not only focus on the glory that awaits us, but our trust will increase as we wait on him. Let's consider the passage this morning connected to the advent, the first coming of Christ and his promised return, and then make some practical applications for our are. And I hope that you find that the depth here brings comfort and solace to you in those areas of our lives where there is uncertainty and change. Isaiah 35, in its context, is written to a, a, a people that have either suffered great difficulties or are about to experience as a nation difficulties. Isaiah, when he wrote this uh, and was inspired with this message in the eighth century before Christ, was addressing a nation that was either being threatened by Assyria or had been conquered and many of its people captured by Assyria, one of the great powers of the ancient world at that time. And so the the word that he brings them, because you're students of your scripture, is an almost exclusively future word. The, the hope that he brings them is, is about a future time. The, the message that he shares with them in Isaiah 35, if you look at 34, it's grim and dark and bleak news about God's judgment on the nations. And 36, another invader's coming to Judah. 
the hope that he brings in 35 looks at the future and through the promises God gives, calls on God's people in that time to put their trust in him. Look with me again at the passage and look for the repetition of the word shall. 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 Verse 1, the wilderness shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice. Verse 2, it shall blossom abundantly. The end of that verse, maybe the most important part of the verse, they shall see the glory of the Lord. Skipping verses 3 and 4, then the eyes of the blind shall be open. The ears of the deaf unstop. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Verse 7, the burning sand shall become a pool. Verse 8, a highway shall be there called the way of holiness and the unclean shall not pass over it. Verse 9, no lion shall be there nor any ravenous beast. But the redeemed shall walk there. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. My first point's simple. It's drawn from the passage we just read. When God comes to save his people... New life abounds. Great joy results. And more holiness abounds as they pursue them. And I base that on the last phrase there found in verse 4. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense or justice of God. He will come and save you. He will come and save you. Behold your God. He will come and save you. How are they behold their God? They can't see him. What they see circumstantially is a nation that is about to be upended by an invasion, or they're staring at the aftermath of that, and their nation and its future hopes lies apparently in ruins, Behold your God, here's the promise, he shall save you. He will come and save you. It's amazing in light of what Isaiah has already said and revealed about who the Lord, Yahweh, is like. Chapter 6, where we have this picture of the Lord God seated on his throne. And the angels or seraphim close their their face and cover their feet if they have feet. And everyone is bowed down in in homage to the Lord God in this, this revelation of his throne room. And Isaiah is somehow brought there to see what's taking place. And they say, holy, holy, holy. And these majestic beings, the seraphim, are bowed down. And Isaiah realized he's a man with unclean lips, which speaks of... Not just his speech, but that his entire heart and being is unfit, unholy to be in the presence. And the angel then comes to him and with a hot coal sets him apart 
to witness what he sees. So when these people hear that God is coming to them, that may at first seem like bad news because he is holy and they are not. And it says he is coming to them to bring recompense, but it's not bad news for this group of people because of that last phrase, the one who is coming with his recompense is coming to save you. That's very good news. So friend, do you see what happens when God shows up in Isaiah 35? He shows up to save his people. And as Christians, we believe that the fullness of this promise is fulfilled with the birth of Christ, with the promised Messiah, the king, with, with his first advent there in Bethlehem. And as we were thinking about in Wednesday in Life Group and his life, his life, the life as the Messiah, which the gospel accounts record. He lived before this, this, the generations of this people as the one who has come to save them as their king and as their savior. And it says in these verses that we read beginning in verse one and two that when God comes to us, New life abounds, verses one and two. The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly. The glory of Lebanon, which I guess it's a very green and lush part of that world, shall be given to it, to the wilderness. Like some of you, I've spent some time hiking in the Southwest in the desert areas where some of our national parks are. And it's arid, it's beautiful, but it's hot, it's dry. Not many, there aren't many green spots in those desert places. One such trip we took, we took to the Arches National Park with my sister and brother-in-law and their family. We got up at like four in the morning because we knew temperatures were going to rise to well over 110 degrees by mid-morning. We, uh, we were hiking our trail early. We brought, oh, we brought so much water for fear of dehydrating because it was going to be a longer hike, frozen bottles of water. And uh, at one point we're sitting in one particular spot and we're drinking our water. And uh, one of our children who didn't appreciate that their parents were lugging their water decided to pour out the water on the ground, which, you know, those are always interesting moments as a parent, you know. And I reflected on that as I read this passage, that in that place where we were resting and drinking water, if we had continued to pour water on that dry ground, at some point, green, Life is going to grow. Might be crabgrass, but there's going to be. I'm sure you've seen those time lapsed Nature Channel, Discovery Channel 
uh, documentaries of some of these spaces and places where it's very dry and then they experience a rainy season in what was desert and arid and barren and lifeless. Now due to the rain becomes green and lush and the, you know, the, the animals now have water to drink and food to graze on and it's almost edenic in its transformation. That's what Isaiah is describing when God comes. New life. New life for people who feel barren, who feel and are thirsty. New life where all that there has been is wilderness and desert, which is these people and which is our world that seeks to live a life apart from God. New life abounds. It's not only new life that is evident, but new great joy results. Did we see that? Did you notice that in verses five and six that when God comes to save his people, verse five, the eyes of the blind are opened, the ears of the deaf are unstopped, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Great joy. One of our members is a gardener and takes his gardening very seriously. He's probably watching on the stream today. And I imagine that when he has his vegetables in the ground and his fences up to protect it from those herbivores, the rabbits, that it brings him no joy when he sees the, the deer leap over the fence only to get to what he's planted and gnaw away. As you leave here today, you'll notice that those first five or six arborvitaes on the backside, they look like discarded corns on the cobs because the family of deer that live here feast on those. Even when we fence them, they somehow leap over or they get through them and they... When God comes, it says that the lame will leap like deer and it will increase their joy. The deaf will hear and it will increase their joy. The blind will see and it will increase their joy. And as Christians, we know that in those accounts of the New Testament, those opening books, the gospels as we call them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have accounts of people who are blind, who were lame, who did, did have deaf, and they receive from Jesus in his adult years the gift of sight, the gift of hearing, their lameness is healed, and then he tells them this, Sin no more. Sin no more. So in Mark chapter, I believe it's four, Mark two, the lame man is healed when his friends bring the paralytic before him. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And then a little later on in that count, sin no more. 
And in John chapter 5, the Feast of the Jews, Jesus is at a, a pool there in Jerusalem by a gate. He sees a lame man and he tells him to get up, take up your bed and walk, John 5. The man was at once healed. He took up his bed and walked. And again, Jesus tells him, go and sin no more. I don't believe Jesus in that moment was speaking of sinless perfection. I think what Jesus is speaking of is through the healing that you've received through me and now the faith that I'm calling you to place in me, you can live differently. Not perfected, but in pursuing me, pursuing who I am like. Because great joy results when we're brought in a relationship with him when God comes to save his people. And lastly, we see, of course, in the passage that those whom he comes to save and receive the new life he gives through the Son and the great joy that results in and through faith in him, more holiness abounds. Verse 8, and a highway shall be there called the highway of of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. They're protected on the highway, verse 9. No no lion shall be there. And then these new identities are introduced. Those who walk this highway, they are the redeemed, verse 9. They are the ransomed, verse 10. They shall come to Zion with singing. The redeemed are on this highway, meaning they have been delivered from, delivered from their guilt, delivered from their debt, delivered from God's judgment for their sin. Ransomed, the ransomed of the Lord shall be found on that highway, meaning he has paid for their freedom. He has not only delivered them from their debt, but they are now free in the Lord to pursue him. When God comes to save his people, new life of Brown, great joy results, more holiness abounds as they pursue him and are restored in their fellowship with God. And if you're a Christian, you and I have already tasted all of those realities when we were first converted and through faith in him today. That's my second point. We already taste what this passage promises now. We taste it. Not in fullness, but yes, we taste new life. We taste great joy. We taste, we taste what it is to not only be restored in our relationship and fellowship with God, but what it is to change and become more like Christ in our character through, through what we call sanctification. We've tasted that. I'm sure you don't do this at Thanksgiving, but I do it at Thanksgiving. We skip lunch 
we have a light breakfast, and we're made to wait on the meal till three or four in the afternoon. And so the house is filled with these aromas that are just enthralling, right? Turkey, which we didn't smoke this year. We had to, we had to cook it, which was disappointing, but Brittany did the turkey. It was incredible. And the sides, baked bread. We got the pies that were actually were made the night before, so we woke up to those smells. Pecan pie and pumpkin pie and apple pie. We had the stuffing and then the green bee. And these smells are just assaulting you all morning long. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then the food is laid out. And while people are still scurrying around, I'm there in the kitchen because I didn't prepare anything. I was supposed to smoke the turkey, but we got cold feet. We decided just to roast it or whatever, bake it, whatever that is, just do it in the oven. I decided to sample the food. I took a taste of the turkey. Not that you would ever do that. I dipped it in the gravy bowl. It was good. Hmm, what if the stuffing's finished? Got out a spoon. Got a little spoonful, put some gravy on that. Hmm, that's pretty good. Green bean casserole, how are you standing up? Looks good. They get a little fork in there. Linda came back in, saw me in there, and she scolded me. I think she physically threatened to inflict harm on me if I didn't stop what I was doing. And I said in my defense, all I want is a taste. I just need a taste. Just give me a taste. If you're not a Christian, some of you aren't, for watching this this morning, God wants to give you a taste. Not of turkey or whatever, mac and cheese, whatever you're. We don't have to wait till this future comes in its fullness, which is either the return of Christ, which we believe as Christians, or we die and are in glory in heaven, we get a taste now of great joy. We get a taste now of new life. A new life, not just a new life of going to church or reading your Bible or doing religion. No, a new life of having the living God, Emmanuel, every day with us. Speaking to us through his word and comforting us by his spirit. Putting feelings and thoughts inside of us. This is more than moral reformation. This is more than Tony Robbins and prove yourself. This is the living God indwelling you so you can have a taste. Do you know what it is to go into the holidays knowing that you have screwed up and fallen short in 2022 and you're forgiven? Doesn't mean you keep doing what you're doing, but it means the guilt which you feel and the weight of that which you live out of and all the justifications you come up with and the cynicism and anger towards people that is your daily diet. You're freed. I didn't become a Christian so I go to church and do religious things. But when I became a Christian in high school, I wanted to go to church because they were the only ones in town talking about new life, new joy, and a new way to walk, way of holiness. What does that mean? Well, this is what it doesn't mean. 
Notice how angry people are as they're shopping in this season. I'm afraid to get in my car and go to the outlet mall and shop during busy seasons, to fight over the parking spot, the, the lines at the stores, the looks you get, those poor service people that deal with we humans all day long. The rudeness, the self-absorptness, the, the, the need to get the best deal, whatever it is. And as a Christian, I get to be in that line but live differently. You take the deal. You go first. You take the parking spot. Because we all know love is patient. Love does not insist in its own way, even when you're shopping. Love's generous. It's the highway of holiness. It's, it's, it's the road that we walk as we fellowship with God. And as we gaze on this future day, my last point, Having tasted already the reality, God has come in Christ to save us from our sins. God has come in Christ to reconcile to himself through faith in Christ. God has given us new life in Christ so that every day we can focus on him as we focus on this future day. That's why all those shalls are there. This has not come in its fullness. There is a day coming when a new creation will break through. When Christ returns, I don't believe he's bringing another planet. When Christ returns, he is taking this planet and taking his people and he is restoring and renewing everything. Removing sin, removing Satan, removing every corruption and filling it with the knowledge of his glory, which is life and joy and holiness. Amen? As we focus on those promises, having been empowered and empowered by the taste that we're getting now through faith in him, our trust in God increases as we face those things that cause us to sigh today. There's a lot of sighing going on in this church. There's a lot of sighing going on in this world. Physical sighs. Surgeries. Future or surgeries postponed. We're sighing. Lord, this body ain't what it used to be, and I'm not sure it's getting better. It might get worse. I have a pastor right now that's reading this passage to a woman in his church that has terminal cancer. And her sorrow is real. And unless God miraculously heals her, she will not live another Christmas. But these promises that they hold together, oh, it causes there to be hope in the midst of sighing. Amen? Because this is not fairy tales. This is living truth. This is new life. This is great joy. This is the future that Jesus is bringing with him. Oh, it's a joy that awaits us that we're given a taste of now. It's a new life in its fullness that we're given a taste of now. So as we fix our gaze on these promises, 
as we focus and hold on to these promises of a, 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 this new creation with Christ, the Father and the Spirit there with us, as we set our minds in these promises, it strengthens our hope. It deepens our faith. It increases our trust in him because we're waiting on him. Friends, what size are you experiencing now in your life, physically, spiritually? When I'm confronted, not with a, not with a transgression that's on the margin of my life, when I'm confronted with a transgression that's a besetting sin, reveals both weakness as well as disobedience. Oh, I just, I just have a temper. No, you, you get angry. Oh, I'm just, I stink at budgeting. No, you struggle with greed. It's a besetting weakness. I'm just throwing jello at that. These aren't necessarily mine, but I'm judgmental of people, but you know, I'm just critical. No, you're self-righteous and it lacks humility. I hate my enemies. Jesus doesn't allow you to do that. He calls you to love them. Turn the other cheek. When you're confronted with spiritual size, oh Lord, I did it again. I fell short again. I said what I shouldn't have said or I didn't say what I'm supposed to say. I was sharing the gospel with this person, but then I got afraid. They, sh- they gave me a look and it was a look like you're gonna kill me in about 30 seconds for telling you this and I pull back. Or I give it all to them not discerning that the person in front of me isn't able to process all of this, but I've been faithful, but, but rather than just be gentle and walk patiently and ask the question, what is the next step to move this person along? And I'm brought again with my besetting sin. It makes me sigh. And my sighing is supposed to turn me then to a savior, amen? says, come to me, I forgive you. Now, let's get back up on that highway, that highway of holiness. I heard a testimony of someone this Christmas that as they travel, I didn't ask permission to share this, so I'll probably get in trouble. As they travel to see relatives and they encounter people that are having work on Christmas, you know, in supermarkets and Cumberland Farms, and they're buying gifts for them now. Why would someone be generous with strangers? Oh, because Jesus is generous with us. That convicted me. I don't think about strangers on Christmas. I think about myself. That's a besetting sin. I'm self-absorbed. I want to be on that highway because I know there's a better day coming. And if I'm on that highway, that means I'm waiting for him. If I've given up growing more like him, if, I'm, if I've bailed on, on repentance and faith and growing more like him, if I've, if I've turned away from his word and just 
making up Christianity as I go. If I'm, if I'm, not, I'm not on the highway, which means I'm not really waiting for him anymore. And so maybe like that fisherman I need, I need to look at the bait on my line. Maybe I've, I've contented a, a, a shallow Christianity with the, the promises of Christmas, but these deeper waters, these deeper promises that I need to maybe go fishing in, they offer to me a weight and a glory to be revealed that will bring more joy. Oh, do you want more joy? I know you do. New life. Do you want more life? I know you do. I do too. Greater holiness that depends on him and trusts in him and, and begins to seek progress in areas that maybe I've given up. Do you long for that? I do. Then friend, lay hold of Isaiah 36 and promises like it and, and and allow the glimpse of that future day to both remind you that because of Christ, you've already had a taste of this, that there's more coming, surprising joy now, but that in these present difficulties, my last point, we strengthen our faith as we fix our gaze on him. Jim, the first picture, and I end with this. Last year, I had the privilege to hike uh, Zion National Park. Linda's gonna join me this year. I'll be out there again in June, and uh, that's one of the most sought-after views. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to get to as hike go. I mean, I even am afraid to use the word hiking in Barbara and Eric's presence because they hike and I just sort of stroll. But I hiked that morning to this view. It takes about 45 minutes to get there. And we did it before sunrise so you could get there. And it's hot and I got all my bags and my frozen water and whatever. I'm a camping, uh, hiking nerd in that moment. But then when you get there, I saw people doing this. And I get why they do it, and I did it. I obviously took a picture. But like they stood there almost the whole time and they were doing this. So I climbed up on a rock and I just kind of waited for people to put this down. Put it down. And just look at what you're looking at. And they're talking and they're doing this and they're talking some more and they're doing this. I guess they're doing live stream or I don't know what they're doing. So I just sat there and I sat there for a good 45 minutes. I just, no phone, I just gazed at it. That's what we're supposed to be doing with this. It says that when the Lord's return, many have stopped gazing at this. Their love for him has grown cold but I bet they're gazing in their phones. I bet they can tell you what's going on and, and Facebook Marketplace. I like Facebook Marketplace most of the time. They can tell you what the weather is and who the Red Sox are trying to get. Now they've... But we're supposed to be gazing at this because when we're gazing at this, we're, someone's gazing back at us. It's Christ. So I invite you to do that because the other reality is this. Jim, we got the second picture? That's not quite as pretty, it's not as. But that's our local park there in Attleboro, the great Finberg Little League complex where championships are won and lost. My sons played Little League on these fields and they won, a, they won one. They got a little name with their brook on it there. That's one of the oldest trees there. 
That's been there for generations. Probably been there for 50 years. What in the world? That thing's like three stories high. We didn't get that much rain last week. I mean, we got some, but not that much. But we got some winds, didn't we? We got some bursts. And that big tree that I bet four generations have grown up with, it went down. Why? Because that big tree, now they've cut it. I didn't get it before it got majestic. Two or three stories high, full branches, tons of leaves. It had no roots. There was no roots. And so when the winds blew, after the rains fell, down it went. I want my faith, and you do too, to be more like a tree whose roots not only are deep and wide, but when the winds blow and when the rains come, I'm not just a Christianity that's externally adorned, that looks good. I don't think I look particularly good at all, but I want one that's standing that's standing, that can endure, or to use the language of, of Isaiah, that as we focus on the glory that awaits us, our trusting God increases. Our roots in Christ deepen. Our hope in him sweetens. Our joy and the taste we get from him continues and our holiness abounds. I know you want that too. What are you gazing at? What am I gazing at? Do the promises of a future glory, a beautiful new creation, are they, are they, are they drawing out from us this advent? Not shallow reflections on the advent of Christ, which is still miraculous, remarkable, but are they drawing out from us the faith and the trust and the hope of a people that still believe that when God comes to save his people, new life abounds, great joy results. My kids are watching this tree. They see this tree, not literally this. They see me. They're watching me. They're watching Linda too. They're watching to, to, to see and hear, what are we gazing at? Where are we finding our hope? And I know that's your heart too. My neighbors, I think in some small way, understand that. They all know we're Christians. They all see us go to church, although I joke, I think they think we're Mormons. We haven't talked to them in a while. Sorry to them. But I think, but they know we have a hope that's different. My students, coworkers, your neighbors, your extended family, they know what we believe, but may they see as well through our gazing on these promises that when the winds come and the rains blow, the tree is still standing because the promises and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They shall come to Zion with singing everlasting. Joy will be upon their heads and sorrow and sighing flee away because they learned how to focus on the glory that awaits us and their trust in God increased.
as we wait on him. How can the promises you read in Isaiah 35 stoke your faith in God this week? How can you hold those promises before you? How can we trust in them together? How can we share the sweet news with others that not only has God come in the birth of Jesus Christ, God is present today to save people through Christ and faith in him. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful on this third Sunday in Advent. We really are thankful, Jesus, that you have already, if we're a Christian, given us a taste of the glory that awaits us. You've given us, Lord, a a taste of new life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've, You've introduced and deepened and brought into our lives great joys through experiencing the reality that our sins have been forgiven, our righteousness secured, and through the hope of glory Christ in us, Lord, we are, we are your adopted, beloved children whom you love and care for. And we're on this highway together, Lord, not literally, but we're, we're walking a road together as we pursue you, having been restored in our fellowship to you, which, which makes claims on our character, makes claims on our conduct, Lord, causes us to say certain things and not say other things and to repent when we, we fall short, causes us, Lord, to live differently. Thank you for the taste. Thank you, Lord, for the, the future taste we'll have. Now, Lord, help us in this season to to fix our gaze on the glory that awaits your people when you return. Fix our gaze on the hope, Lord, that you've given to your people when we are brought face to face with you. Fix our gaze on the hope of the new creation when this world and the people in it, those who belong to you, the redeemed, the ransomed, Lord, are perfected. And we, we live in a, in a place where the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fills every crevice. Lord, bring us to that place of gazing as we taste even now these first fruits of our salvation. And then help us, Lord, to share the good news, the hope that we have with those around us, for you have more people that you want to bring in to the highway of holiness. Use us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Let's stand.